dismissed for Children's Church. The rest of you turn Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 this morning as we uh, consider the second part of John's vision concerning this, what is going to happen after this. God has called him from the island of Patmos in, in the spirit, in a sense, into heaven to see a vision of what God, of God reigning and, and as creator in, in Revelation 4, and now we see Revelation 5. And it's about, in a sense, again, this plan that God has to set things right and to destroy evil and to make, uh, make his reign and rule evident over the entire world. And, and so, uh, have you ever thought you had a plan? You know what I mean? Like, okay, I've got this plan and I'm going to work the plan. Um, and, and yet, it doesn't always come together the way you expect it to, right? Um, this, this week, my wife was gone uh, at a teaching conference, and so I, I had to kind of run the house for uh, Wednesday night, Thursday, and Friday. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, at this stage of the game, I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I got it. I can handle this. You know, what, what can go wrong, right? Uh, uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm an experienced dad. I, I, I know what should take place, right? Uh, and so uh, I, I can handle the laundry. I can handle breakfast. I can handle supper. I can, I can do all those things, no problem. Um, and the one kind of challenging thing was we had, like, a soccer practice and two cross-country races at the same time uh, between the kids. And so I was like, okay, well, my plan was that... Zeke would bring Judd home after, after they both raced. You know, I was like, hey, no, no problem. Uh, I misunderstood that, th- yes, they raced close together, but that didn't mean that they got home close together. So I get this call from the cross-country coach, um, and I didn't realize it was the cross-country coach, of course, because, like, you know, you just see a number on your phone, you're like, mm, I'm busy at the moment, I'm not going to answer it. Uh, so then my wife calls me, and she's like, uh, I'm getting this phone call from Coach Hales, you know, like, about picking up our son, and she's, uh, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll call him right back, you know, and, uh, so ultimately Coach Hales brought our son home because, uh, I did not get it right, um, and, and so when you, when you have a plan and it doesn't go according to plan, of course, there's, there's problems, right? And here we see in Revelation 5, notice what it says here in the first few verses. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And as we read through Revelation, what we realize is this is, you know, when it said earlier in Revelation 4, come up and I will show you the things that must take place after this. Like, the scroll is the plan. It's, it's the plan for how God is going to set things right. And it's, it's, a, it's a laid out plan for how to conquer evil and restore God's rule and reign. Uh, in, not that it wasn't in, uh, controlled, but in the sense that everyone is submitted to that rule and reign. And this scroll is seated, is, is, is in God's hand. And verse 2 says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? 
And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Can you imagine, in a sense, right? John is here, he's present, and he's, he's like, okay, God's rule and reign is obvious here in heaven, but it's not so obvious on earth. He's sitting in exile in Patmos, right? And he sees the scroll, and then he hears, no one's worthy. No one's worthy to, to open it or to look into it. It's like, you, it's like having a plan and never knowing what it is. Never knowing how it's supposed to be executed. And John here weeps. Right? Because it's a lot more serious than not having a plan for your son getting home from a cross-country meet. It's this plan for how to solve the effects of sin on this world. And John knows this because he's feeling the effects of it. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos because people have rejected God's rule and reign in the world. He's separated from family and friends. And, and we all have things in our lives where we see, where we wish that God's rule and reign would extend over that. Things that hurt, things that break us. It's like a lawyer seeking justice and, and working hard for justice with, with desire and passion and running into judge after judge and lawyer after lawyer who's corrupt, who won't make th right things happen in the system, who in fact use the system for their own good and their own ends. And he knows, oh, I can't solve this, there's nothing I can do. We look even today, right, at Hamas violently attacking Israel, destroying people's lives for no other reason than their own gain and their own power and their own desire to rule and reign and their hatred of Jews. And you say, how can we stop this? What can we do? For some of us, it's missing loved ones, knowing that we, this loved one who we had, who, who we cherished, is now gone, and we, we mourn their passing, and we wish they were with us. And again, there's nothing we can do to restore them back to us. This is the world we live in. And we like to sugarcoat it by, hey, yeah, I know, go dream your dream and, and live your life and enjoy what, you know, enjoy this world and what it has to offer. And we like to, to, to say, get as much money as you can or get as much fulfillment out of life as you can. But ultimately, people die. Careers fall apart. Sin destroys and death kills. And nothing ever stops that. And so John is weeping because if no one can execute the plan, if no one can accomplish the plan, then we're stuck in this situation trying to muddle through life, trying to make as much meaning and purpose and love and happiness out of this life that we can, but ultimately ending in sorrow and tragedy because there is no restoration. There is no hope. And that doesn't just mean the system that's out there. It also means our own. We, we, we know that we can't even solve ourselves. 
when we're fearful, instead of, instead of finding something strong to hold on to and, and, and people to, to go through life with, we, instead we push people away too often. We cut people off because we're afraid. Sometimes we're defending people and we're trying to help them, but instead our anger hurts the very people that we're trying to defend. Sometimes we're seeking to accomplish something great, and instead of accomplishing something great, we destroy what we have. Sometimes we think we're unique and we're special, and yet we always feel like we're missing something, missing something in our lives. We're, we're so different from someone, so, so the people around us. And we look at the cycle of history, and we see civilizations that, that come, and they, they control a bunch of things, and they make a lot of good things happen, and then they fall apart. And then, and then there's chaos and destruction and death, and then someone else comes along and tries to... But it's always the cycle. It never stays stable. It never stays the same. And in this world in which we live, a lot of people think that God is more like the Wizard of Oz. You remember the Wizard of Oz, right? It's this guy, right, that in Dorothy and the lion and the scarecrow and the tin man, they're all going to the, to the wizard to get something. Like, we need courage, we need heart, we need to get home. And, and it's like, and when they get to, to Oz, you remember the scene, for those of us who grew up more my age, shall I put it that way? You, you remember the scene, maybe some of us, like, Annalisa probably has never seen the Wizard of Oz, but there's a scene, right, where they march trembling into the throne room, and there's gouts of flame and, and gouts of smoke, and there's, you know, the great and terrible Oz, you know, I know why you're here, and he, you know, and he, and he just frightens them to death, and then they go do the task, right, of the, of the and they come back, and, and they find out that the Wizard of Oz is just this bumbling man behind a curtain who, who can't control anything, then it seems like, like to the world, there's this story like if God exists, if he exists, then he's just this bumbling guy who started everything but really can't control it and really can't make it good. And uh, we wish he would just, in a sense, disappear off the scene because we'd like to do it ourselves. And yet, if we're honest, we realize we can't even do it ourselves. And that's not the picture here. The picture here is of a God who is in control, who knows how to execute the plan. And he is looking for someone who is worthy to execute the plan. He's looking for someone who, he's not trying to, uh, to throw his plan out the window and say, okay, I made man to rule and reign on the earth, but they can't do it, so let's wipe them out and start over with something else. He, he, wants, he has a plan to restore and to redeem and to set things right. And in all of creation... All the sons of Adam, all the daughters of Eve, there's no one worthy to execute his plan. Because it's not just making a plan and executing it. It's, it's, it's also the one who is worthy to rule and reign. And none of us are worthy. And yet, this is a message of hope. Not because we can figure it out. And let me tell you how. But because... One of the elders steps in. And it's fascinating that it's one of the elders and not an angel. It's, 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 it's one of mankind. <laughs> it's one of those who are created by God, who are like us, to rule and reign with God, who've broken that rule and reign. And yet he says, 
verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he could open the scroll and its seven seals. He's saying to John, you don't need to weep anymore. Why? Because there is one worthy. He's been found worthy. And to have this hope. And so let's look at the hope that we have. We have hope, first of all, because the Lion of Judah has conquered, he says here. Weep no more because, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he could open the scroll and the seven seals. And so we see this, this person referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's a reference to the fact that Judah was someone, he wasn't in the line, but he had, he had gone away from his brothers. He had left his family. He said, there's no blessing with, with, according to, to God. I'm, I'm going to go and find blessing elsewhere. And he realized he repented of that and he came back. And he was one who restored his family's honor. And here the lion of the tribe of Judah is someone who is, 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 is conquering to restore honor back to his family. There's a story of lions that's really ran across that's fascinating. It's happened in 2005. An Ethiopian girl's world turned into a nightmare. She was abducted by... She's only 12, but she was abducted by violent men who were going to intend to force her into a marriage. Such incidents are common in Ethiopia. And, and so uh, she's, she's crying. She's afraid. She's scared. And it says the unlikely heroes were three majestic Ethiopian lions. Famous for their large black manes, these lions are the national symbol of Ethiopia. In, in response to the girl's cries for help, three large lions leapt from the brush and chased the captors away. Perhaps the child thought she had traded one danger for another, but remarkably, her heroes formed a protective perimeter around her. A half a day later, when the police arrived, the guardian lion simply stood up and walked away. Sergeant Wondimo Wadajo said, they stood guard until we found her, and then they just left her like a gift and went back into the forest. Among the explanations for the lion's unusual behavior, one wild earth, well, Wildlife expert suggested the girl's whimpering could have simply sounded like a lion cub. For whatever reason, the predator served as a protector. He commented, everyone thinks this is some kind of miracle. And whether God controlled those lions or not, God sent the lion of the tribe of Judah to rescue us in our death, rescue us in our destruction, rescue us in, our, in the carnage of this world and to protect us, not just for half a day, but forever. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about him also being the root of David. Just note, follow along here. Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a tribe from his roots shall bear, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not stand, he not judge by what his eyes see or dis decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fatted calf together, 
and a young, a young child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here he is coming, the root of David, the son of David, who is designed to come and to restore peace, not just in Israel, but to the entire world. And not just between men, but between man and nature as well. This peace that overflows over the entire world. And he deserves to rule because he, he, he has conquered the things that destroy us. What has he conquered? Sin and death, ultimately. And if he has conquered these things, he knows best how to conquer the effects of sin. And he's also willing to do this because he was willing to rescue all of us, not himself. And that's what you see in the next few verses here, that the slain lamb redeems, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And again, this is uh, figurative language for what, what He's seeing here what he's trying to represent because he's saying that the Spirit of God is on the Lamb or in the Lamb, a part of the Lamb, and it, which echoes Isaiah chapter 11, right? But it says here that he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, again, representing the lion who becomes the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And it's dramatic here because you realize that the first time that John the Apostle saw Jesus was when John the Baptist turned to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now it's like full circle. He knows. He knows this is the Lamb of God. He knows this is the one who takes away the sin of the world because he saw him die on the cross. And here he is in heaven at God's right hand, at his throne, taking the scroll He's the one who takes the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. He's the one who's going to execute God's plan to rule and reign. This is the lamb, and he deserves to rule because he redeems. He died for us. You think about it. Who would you want to rule over you? You would say, well, I want somebody powerful, right? I want somebody who can take care of my problems. He's got to be strong. He's got to be wise. He's got to have resources. But someone like that could also not care about you at all, right? And so sometimes people, we say, well, who do you want to rule over? I want somebody who cares about me, you know what I mean? Who knows my issues, who knows my, my problems, who's not thrown off by all of the, the issues that I, I have, you know, that they're just, you know, part of me. This is the Lamb of God, and he rules because he's powerful, but he rules because he cares. And we see that care because he died and rose again for us. This, and Kevin DeYoung put it this way, the question of who Jesus is is doubly crucial in our day because no one, in some ways, is as popular as Jesus there's the Republican Jesus who is against tax increases and activist judges 
his four family values and owning arms. There's the Democrat Jesus who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, who heals our past, tells us how valuable we are. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, who loves spiritual conversation and drives a hybrid. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for the people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher and ultimately determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's gentle Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones and flowing hair and walks around barefoot. There's hippie Jesus, similar, who teaches everyone peace, imagines a world without religion, and it helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, to reach for the stars and buy a boat. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons. There's guru Jesus, a wise inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's good example Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, not just another planet, prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He was the only one. He was the one they had been waiting for, the son of David, Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God rule and reign, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to the earth. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or a projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he takes the scroll. Notice what it says. And he went and took the scroll, verse 7, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Were there you to take this scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here we see that the, 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 the Lamb takes the scroll. He's, he has the ability to execute God's wrath against sin. Why? Because he died for it. And... I, I ran across a guy who was, um, in a sense, arguing, well, you know, we talk about hell, we talk about judgment for sin, that God just, just, God just gives people what they want since they don't really want to be with him, and so they just want to, to, to ignore God's rule. He'll just, you know, send them to hell because they don't really want to be with him anyway, and so hell's not where God's at, and so that's where he goes. And that's true to an extent. And at the same time, that's not the point of God's judgment on sin, God judges sin because it destroys the people he loves. It hurts the people he loves. And God executes God's wrath against sin because it's worthy of wrath. It's worthy of his anger. It's worthy of his judgment because it destroys the people he loves. And that's why he was also willing to send his son 
to be separated from the one he had been connected to from eternity past. To hear his son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he do that? Because he hates sin. And yet he loves the sinner and is willing to reconcile himself to them. And this is the one who rules and reigns and is going to execute God's judgment on the earth. And that's just amazing to think, right? I don't know about you, but with my words, I've hurt some people. With my actions, I've hurt people. I've done things that have harmed people God loves. People have done that to me. And it seems like this cycle goes on and on and on, right? And you wonder, how can it stop? Jesus came to stop the cycle, to destroy it, to bring us back to God and to restore us to himself. It's far beyond our human ability to accomplish. We cannot stop the cycle, but Jesus can. And that's why here we have at the end of the vision, all of creation shouting his praise. It says, they sang a new song, worthy are you to take the scroll to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing so all the angels cry out in a, a, a much greater chorus than even at Christ's birth worthy is the lamb who was slain and then and it says, and I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In a sense, all of creation welcoming, rejoicing that finally God's rule and reign is fully seen and accomplished in his creation. It's an amazing hymn. To, to shout the praise, to say, worthy are you to take the throne. We want you to rule. We want you to reign because you are good. You are great. You, are, you, you care for us. Verse 14, and the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Worthy is the lamb. And worthy is the God who sent the lamb. Because he can conquer our sin, can end our death, and he can restore his creation back to beauty and order and, and glory and love. We won't have sudden attacks on civilians like this weekend. We won't have a war going on in Ukraine. We won't have people dying of cancer. We won't have people hurting and saying evil things to one another. We won't have, um, we, we won't have families separated grieving the loss of loved ones. Instead, we will all, with one voice, shout, worthy is the Lamb, and worthy is the one who sent the Lamb. You see, there are two kinds of making something great, right? 
John Piper pointed this out, right? You could either have a microscope and you, you could try to find a microscope, take something that's really small and tries to help you see it. As opposed to a telescope, right? A telescope is something that, you know, you take, the moon looks small, but it, you know, and you take a telescope and you make it somewhat bigger than it is because it's actually, you know, quite a bit bigger than what it appears. To the sun, the same thing. And you could either approach God saying, God, I'm going to magnify God with my praise. I'm going to make something that's small, bigger, because I'm praising it. Or you can say, this is so great, this is so amazing. I'm just trying to point people's attention to something that's so great because they don't see how great it is. And as we see here, all of creation, the angels, the, the elders, the four living creatures are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. As Paul, as Peter put it, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, you get this, right? It's like, we could be like, everyone else in a sense and we could say you know i'm just going to live my life and go through life and hopefully i have a decent life and when i die i hope my kids can can go on and have decent lives too and hopefully this world will continue and, and good things will happen i don't know how it's gonna but we're just gonna hope everything turns out all right in the end or you can know you can know that god reigns and then amidst of chaos and death and fear. That this is not all there is. This is not just a continuous cycle that just keeps going and going and going and going. But that Jesus came and he died and he rose again to set things right. And we go on in Revelation and see how he opens the, soul, the scroll and he, in a sense, reads it and sets things right in the end. But at the beginning, before it's actually happened, here's the foundation. Here's why this is good. Because God is the creator. He rules and reigns. He is good. And he is good because even though we rebelled against him, the Son is coming to set up that rule and reign because he died for us. He earned the position he holds. He didn't just, you know, well, I'm the son of the, you know, I'm the son of God, so I get, I, you know, I get that, right? I get that position. No, he, he died for us. So maybe just a reminder here, what, what are you hoping in? We live in a community that celebrates, in a sense, the intellectual. We, we celebrate figuring things out and, or becoming someone who can solve the problems of the world, right? We, we go to Iowa State, we go to college in order to do some good in the world, which is a good thing to do. But is that your hope, doing something good in the world when this world keeps falling apart? Here we have someone you can hope in, the Lamb. He died so that even though we can't figure it out, and though, even though society can't figure it out, he can. And the question that comes to all of us is, have you trusted in the, Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Have you done that? Romans chapter 3, 
puts it very eloquently. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It comes to us freely as a gift. It's not something you earn or deserve because Christ paid the price for you. God presented him as the mercy seat, that is the seat of mercy by his blood. He's giving it to you freely, forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness of redemption from our environment through faith, just believing in what God has done to demonstrate his righteousness because in his previous, in his previous restraint, God previously passed over sins committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. This is simply where we come by faith to God. We say, this is God. I'm trusting in what you have done for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I get wrapped up. I get, I get frustrated. I'm like, why? You know, this was a week in some ways that was like that because, you know, basically I was holding down the fort, right? Like, well, my wife's gone. I'm just holding down the fort. I'm not doing anything special, you know? I mean, I'm not doing anything great, you know? Just doing the normal stuff of life. And I'm like, wow, oh, I want to do something. Jesus is the one who's done it for me. Why do I need to get wrapped up in what I'm doing for God? What, what I can accomplish when he has paid the price for me? What am I hoping in? What are you hoping in? And the second question you could ask yourself is, who, is am I, who am I sharing this with? If all creation shouts the praise of this one who died for us and rose again, are you sharing this with anyone around you? That's what Innocent only say. Who's your one? Who's just one person that you're like, hey, I, I want this person to at least hear this message that Jesus died for us and rose again. I want them to understand it. Do you have one person you're praying for, one person you're seeking to talk to? Maybe it's two or three, but can you share it with one? Another question you can ask yourself is, are you becoming his disciple? Becoming his disciple is in some ways just learning to shout his praise. Yes, we see this vision here, but we realize in our own lives that we do not shout God's praise and Christ's praise like we should. We get caught up in our frustrations. We get caught up in our sins. We get caught up in, in the things that we want out of life, and we, we lose our focus on Jesus. And we, we want to be, as a church, someone who disciples people in grace and truth. Why? Because this is about Jesus. It's not about us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So where are you at? Have you accepted Christ? Have you received the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Have you done it by faith? Romans 10, 13 again says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't, I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done religiously even. The question really comes down to, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you done that for yourself? If you haven't, all you have to do is ask, and he will give you redemption, forgiveness, and eternal life. And if you have done that, are you sharing it? And this is an amazing chapter, right? Of, of all of creation shouting the praise of him who's come. We, you know, we worry. We're like, okay, Israel's going through a war. Ukraine's going through a war. There's so many bad things happening in the world. You know what? We need to, we need to speak up and we need, to, we need to share love and we need to encourage goodness in the world. But our hope is not in our actions. Our hope is not in our goodness. Our hope is in the one who is worthy 
to take the scroll, to open its seals, and to deliver us from this world of death. Is that where your hope is in? I pray that it is. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you shared with us this vision of Christ, the Redeemer, the Lamb who was slain, who lives, who is going to take the, the scroll one day and open its seals and set things right to deliver us from sin, to destroy death, to end our frustration with the ongoing cycle of hatred and division and sin and death that's in the world. And so for those of us who believe in Christ, let our lives not be about what we want to accomplish or what we want to do. May may our lips be full of your praise. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. May that day come quickly, Lord, when he returns and we see you ruling and reigning on the earth. We pray these things in your son's name.